Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, what we... Thank you, Mr Speaker. To the Prime Minister, does she stand in by... In particular, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker. The Honourable Grant Roberts. He's an umpire, a referee, a moderator. He's protected by special rules. And he has the power to give politicians their marching orders. The Honourable Time... What, 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 you've done now... Uh, over a number of weeks, and I got kicked out of the House for it, made personal remarks about members uh, on this side of the House. It's simply not right, and I ask you as a single, uh, senior member of this Parliament to stop doing it. Well, I'm going to ask the member to leave the House. We're speaking to the point of order. No, there's no point of order. If the member wants a further supplementary, she can take it. If not, we'll no, move on. I'm leaving. <laughs> what a waste. For how long? Thank you. Oh, Mr. Mr. Brownlee, this is this has got this has got to the point of of being ridiculous. The member is a the, Paula Bennett will leave the chamber. But now Trevor Mallard is facing new accusations. He basically bullied the person, uh, and uh, you know we think it's just another example of reprehensible conduct. He needs to go. He needs to go now. Today we look at the role of the Speaker of the House with Professor Andrew Geddes. But first, the case that National just won't let go of. National is calling for Parliament Speaker Trevor Mallard to resign after claiming he doubled down on false rape allegations after he was told he was wrong. The parliamentary staffer at the centre of the claims says the Speaker even went on to threaten him. A defamation settlement cost the taxpayer more than $300,000. Stuff's senior political reporter Thomas Coughlin takes us back nearly two years to the release of the Francis Report into bullying and harassment in Parliament. The whole issue dates back to comments that Trevor Mallard made um, on the morning of the Francis Review's recommendations being released. He went on morning media, as politicians often do, And he told, I think, first RNZ... Mallard made the rape allegation in an interview with RNZ on the morning of May the 22nd, 2019. We're talking about serious sexual assault. Well, that, for me, um, that's rape. And then TVNZ, that the report that he had seen, some of the evidence presented in that um, met a definition of rape. He later repeated that claim on the famous black and white tiles at a press conference in Parliament. So that that is where the initial allegation was made. What happened next? So what happened next has been pieced together through actually a number of subsequent, I guess, episodes in this saga. Trevor Mallard is a speaker. The speaker is the minister in charge of the parliamentary service. So that's the organisation that deals with everything in, in Parliament, staffing of, of MPs' offices, stuff like the library, and this, uh, this staffer as well was an employee. So Trevor Mallard was answering questions in a select committee. A question was asked of Trevor Mallard about this, and, um, and Trevor Mallard um, actually said then that he was told on the day that he made those claims about the staffer that what he was saying then didn't match up with what parliamentary service knew. So all of a sudden, there were, on, on the day that those claims were made, um, there was a bit of behind-the-scenes stuff going on, which suggested that it was a wee bit messier than um, the morning media round had, had presented it. And that kind of was happening behind the scenes. Meanwhile, um, the staffer in question left parliamentary service and he currently has an active employment dispute with parliamentary service, so that's sort of still 
ongoing, um, which limits the ability of, of actually everyone involved to, to talk about it. So all of a sudden we've got this very complicated story where we're getting quite different versions of, of what went on, and obviously because it's such a highly litigious uh, environment, everyone's lawyered up. Getting the truth out of this is actually um, jolly difficult. Just to recap, on May the 22nd, 2019, Trevor Mallard made the incorrect claim of rape at Parliament. Later that month, Mr Mallard refused to retract or apologise. On December the 8th last year, Mr Mallard settled the case with a payout and an apology. Then on December the 22nd, he told a select committee meeting that he had realised within 24 hours of making the claims that he was wrong. But National is keeping up the attacks with Chris Bishop leading it. Chris Bishop. Mr Speaker, what I'm about to say to the House is very important. So Chris Bishop obviously is you know, quite a, a capable lawyer, uh, managed to get the statement of claim uh, and, and had quite an extraordinary speech in Parliament last week. I and the National Party believe it is critical that Trevor Mallard resign as Speaker of the House. Where he essentially set out the facts of, of the case um, as National sees it. The basic facts of what has become known as the Mallard rape affair are, I think, well known. And the reason why that is, is so fascinating, it's one of the funny little quirks about being Speaker, is that you're not allowed to reflect on, on the Speaker. And what that means is that you can't, in Parliament, say the Speaker's doing a terrible job of, of being the Speaker. And Andrew Geddes will explain more on that. And Trevor Mallard, um, to his credit, I think, actually let, uh, let Bishop make the case. When, when Mallard actually could have thrown Bishop out of the house for it, and Mallard could have you know, seriously thrown the book at him, mm. um, but he did not. At the end of that speech, Mallard sort of stood up and said, essentially, <laughs> that was quite clearly out of order, but I thought it was best to let it run um, because uh, you know, the, the National Party needed to make its point. But he, then he did sort of rather ominously say that at a further select committee hearing, um, which will be in the next couple of months, I think. I look forward to the hearing of the estimates where the truth will be told. And I think what's interesting there is that obviously select committees, you also have this, this parliamentary privilege. So it's where Trevor Mallard will be able to speak quite freely about the case because he will be protected uh, from def- further defaming someone. So he'll be able to lay out the cases he sees it there. What sort of character is Trevor Mallard? You know, he's a baby-hugging politician, but he also seems to be very feisty. Yeah, and I think you've put put your finger on the irony there, is that Trevor Mallard has probably done more for Parliament in terms of the, the, the culture here than many other speakers have done. Certainly he's done a lot for families in Parliament. On the other side of things, he, he does have this record of, of being, you know, I mean, bully's quite emotive language, but he's certainly one of the feistiest MPs that we've had. He famously was involved in, in a punch-up and a lift in Parliament. Who was? Yeah, uh, Toe Henare. So, oh, you know, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, there aren't, there aren't many people who, who can say that, that they've done both of those things and, and sort of like gone to war with parliamentary bullying and gone to war with um, the bad culture in Parliament whilst also having been you know, literally involved in a fight and a lift in Parliament. So, that, you know, it's very obvious irony. So, National really is digging in here. I think it's probably got a little while to run. Certainly this select committee will be interesting and, and obviously so long as it's being disputed, it will run. Let's look at the role of the Speaker. Andrew Geddes is a Professor of Law at University of Otago. The first thing to understand is that the House of Representatives, which is you know the functional part of Parliament, the bit where the members of Parliament all meet and sort of do their business, 
the House of Representatives runs under its own rules. It has its own uh, things called standing orders, which are rules that the members of parliament themselves have created uh, and its own practices and its own uh, ways of doing things. And the House of Representatives cannot be dictated to by any outside body. So, for instance, the courts are not allowed to examine what the House of Representatives do, does uh, and pass judgment on that. So that then raises the question of who makes sure that the House of Representatives is you know, following its own rules and who decides what those rules are and who applies them and so on and so on. And that role falls to the Speaker. So the Speaker uh, both represents the House of Representatives as kind of their head. So uh, they, the Speaker literally speaks for the House of Representatives. But the Speaker also, and probably most importantly, acts as the umpire for the internal practices of the House to make sure that the House's rules are being applied, makes decisions about what those rules are and how they apply in any particular situation, and so on. Who appoints the Speaker? So when Parliament first meets after an election, uh, there's a process by which nominations are called for. And the Speaker is always a member of Parliament, but it could be any member of Parliament. So uh, names are put forward for people to be the Speaker. Uh, if there's more than one nomination put up, there's then an election, and the members of Parliament themselves vote on who they want to be the Speaker. Mostly, there's an agreement, OK, there's this one member of Parliament who wants to do the job, and everyone's kind of happy for them to do it. And so that's how Trevor Mallard, the current Speaker, actually uh, was chosen. Is the Speaker um, chosen because they have certain qualities? Is there something about Trevor Mallard that makes him right for the role of Speaker? The Speaker is usually a member of Parliament with quite some experience uh, because they need to know how the place works. You wouldn't throw a first-term member of Parliament into that role because, you know, they're still finding their feet. Uh, so the Speaker is traditionally a member of Parliament, you know, with a great deal of experience. You can't be a Speaker and a Minister. They have to have put, either put that behind them, as the case of Trevor Mallard, or accept that it's not going to be something that ever comes their way. Outside of that, really, it's it's a bit of a black hole. We don't know quite how it's you know agreed who will do it. I'd imagine there's a lot of sort of behind the scenes negotiation. You know, the government talking to the opposition: Would you be happy with this guy doing it? Do you have objections and so on? Uh, but that, as I say, is a black hole. All we know is names go forward, and then this process is followed. Would the speaker always be? Um, someone from the governing party? Usually the Speaker comes from the governing party, but they don't have to. There have been a couple of occasions where an opposition member of Parliament uh, has been put into the Speaker's role. Uh, back then, however, the rule was that if you were Speaker, you didn't vote on matters before the House. And so putting an opposition member up as Speaker basically took their vote out of the, the picture. That doesn't happen now, that the Speaker votes along with all other MPs on every matter. And so their vote is cast by their political party uh, on the issues before the House. Uh, so what that means is that the government really wants to have one of their people in the Speaker's role uh, because that person continues to be a government member of Parliament as well as being the Speaker who's in charge of running the House. Now, obviously, that can cause real problems because the person who's meant to be sort of neutrally and objectively dispassionately saying these are the rules and how they apply also is a nowadays a member of the government and 
still meeting with the government caucus, still meeting with government members of parliament. Uh, and so that does cause tension and can, you know, lead to accusations of bias and so on. But it's just inbuilt to the role. Yeah. It's, it's just the way that the New Zealand speakership you actually wrote an opinion piece about Simon Bridges versus Trevor Mallard back in 2018 about this very issue. Tensions in Parliament boiled over this afternoon with the opposition leader booted out of the House for questioning the conduct of the Speaker. That prompted the slow departure of most of the National Caucus who made their way out of the chamber in the half hour following Simon Bridges's ejection. Mr Bridges remains defiant, saying he called out the Speaker Trevor Mallard for openly running interference for the Prime Minister. Has she entirely washed her hands of anything to do with the shrewd fiasco and is she ducking and diving to get out of its way? No. The Leader of the Opposition will leave the House. He will be followed by the Shadow Leader of the House. It's not new, and it, it happens in every parliament that at some point the opposition will say that the speaker is treating them you know, poorly, that the speaker is favouring the government, and so on and so on. Uh, and so, you know, Trevor Mallard faced those accusations in the last parliament. Uh, Lockwood Smith faced the same claims from the Labour Party. Margaret Wilson faced the same claims from the opposition National Party. Jonathan Hunt. Uh, there was actually Winston Peters tried to move a motion to have him kicked out as Speaker back in 2007. So it, th this is just part of the tension that will always exist with the House of Representatives running itself and therefore always having one of its people running it. There is this phrase, Parliament may treat reflections against the Speaker as being a contempt, which is an offence against Parliament itself, which it can punish. How would that person be punished? So the prohibition on uh, accusing the Speaker of bias, that prohibition actually applies to everyone. Now, it applies particularly importantly within the House, and it's policed quite strongly within the House. But in theory, it applies to newspapers, it applies to people like me writing on the internet, it applies to people who are tweeting. In theory, the House can, if it chooses to, treat any uh, accusations of bias against the Speaker by anyone in the public realm as being a contempt. Now, a contempt is to uh, hinder the House's ability to do its work. And the claim is that if the speaker has been accused of bias, you know, generally in society, then that will impede his ability or her ability to actually act as Parliament's umpire, and therefore the House will be able to act properly. And in the past, newspapers have actually been punished by Parliament for these sorts of accusations. I think today there's a vanishingly small chance that the House would ever choose to do so, because, you know, our belief in free speech and our idea that, you know, the institution should be uh, subject to more robust criticism has developed. But as the rules are written, the House does have this power, if it was ever to choose to use it, uh, to punish such accusations in a public setting uh, as a form of contempt, which involves essentially a mini trial within Parliament itself before the Privileges Committee, and then a decision by the House as to what punishment it will hand out. Could be a fine, 
in theory, could even be uh, imprisonment for the length of the term of parliament. That will never, ever happen, but they're in theory. The current claims by the opposition against the current Speaker, Trevor Mallard, are of a different nature. So they're not saying that he's been treating them as opposition in a biased way, though they have made those claims in the past. And I think we need to view the current claims against that background as a sort of a general unhappiness on the opposition's part with how he's uh, run a speakership. Mm. What they're claiming currently, however, is that his actions with regard to this particular uh, defamation issue and the the accusations he made against a parliamentary staffer uh, show that he, in essence, just is not a fit and proper person to hold the office of the Speaker. This is a gross and disgraceful abuse of power. He refused to apologise to the man he called a rapist, even though he knew it was wrong. He refused to compensate, even though he knew it was wrong. He said if the man sought to protect his reputation, uh, he would prove he was a rapist. He threatened to put the man on trial. This is a man who should order, resign as order. Speaker. Which is, you know, perhaps a more serious type claim than the, you know, quite standard, you're not being fair to us claim. Uh, so it does, I think, ratchet things up one notch. Can they actually remove them? Because my understanding is it's it's a vote of the whole parliament to remove the speaker. And, of course, um, Labour has the majority. So, interestingly, in standing orders, there is no process laid out for removing the speaker. There is a process to elect the speaker, but there's nothing in parliament standing orders for getting rid of a speaker. It does say that if a vacancy arises, you need a new election. You need to, you know, get a new speaker, but it doesn't say how the vacancy comes about in the first place. Uh, In the past, it's come about by speakers resigning uh, to do other things. So in the 1970s, a speaker resigned to become a minister of the crown. Uh, In 1995, Jonathan Hunt, a speaker resigned because he was going off to become a diplomat. But outside of those examples, there's we don't have an example in New Zealand where the House, the members of parliament, have just basically forced a speaker out. Now, what's assumed is that because the Speaker represents the House, if a majority of members of Parliament no longer wanted him to be Speaker or her to be Speaker uh, and voted on a motion to that effect, well, then the Speaker would have to quit because the Speaker represents the House. The House speaks through a majority. If a majority of members of Parliament don't want the Speaker, then the Speaker has no standing, whether they can't represent the House anymore. Even though standing orders doesn't specifically say that, that's just the inbuilt presumption. The problem, of course, that the national opposition has is that, you know, they've got, you know, bugger all votes in the House. Mm. And so while that majority continues to back the Speaker in his role, then the Speaker gets to remain the Speaker. So there's no chance he's going to go unless he resigns. If the Speaker's Labour Party colleagues, and in particular if Jacinda Ardern as the leader of the Labour Party was to lose confidence in the Speaker, basically feel that the Speaker really isn't up to the job or has had their mana so tarnished that they can't really perform the function anymore, then uh, the Speaker would have to quit because they would basically say to the Speaker, look, I'm sorry, we're no longer going to back you. You In order to save yourself the embarrassment of us voting in the House to get rid of you, you should just stand down. And at that point, the Speaker would have no option but to resign. But short of that, as long as the the Labour Party members of Parliament are prepared to back the Speaker, then the Speaker is entitled to remain Speaker because the majority of the House wants him to be Speaker. And what the majority of the House wants 
that's what the House does. Mm. So what do you make of this latest episode, Andrew? Because you have been watching Parliament and watching politics for a long time. How serious is this? It does seem to have gone above the usual performative, you know, the speaker's not being fair to us, uh, you know, you're not treating us kindly or you're not treating us well, uh, rhetoric that we hear from the opposition, as we've said, on a regular basis. Uh, and it, it does seem that the, the National <coughs> Party members of Parliament do have a genuine and uh, quite deeply held feeling that the Speaker has acted inappropriately and so on. Whether that amounts to enough pressure to cause the Speaker to actually leave the role, I mean, we just have to wait and see, because by the same token, I think for a lot of people looking from the outside, it's just internal political party shenanigans. So trying to see where you know the truth is in this uh, is very difficult because it's so you know co- colored by those sort of partisan political assumptions and views it'll be really interesting to see where it does go you know, national it seems really isn't giving up on this even though they're not moving the motions that they said they'd move on a regular basis to force the speaker out uh, the fact that they're returning to this well again and again shows that you know, they do think there's something there that they want to keep pursuing Prime Minister, is it time for Trevor Mallard to resign? No. Look, the issues that are being raised today, they are issues that have already been traversed. Eventually National will probably have to get tired of, of this, unless this gets really bad for Mallard, and you know we've seen no evidence that it really has. I don't think Jacinda Ardern will lose confidence in him, because I mean she has very little to gain from that. She's in this sort of interesting position where she would then have to pick another speaker. You need to pick a senior politician. So she's got Nanaya Mahuta, who's been in Parliament since the 90s, but you know Nanaya is kind of enjoying her... She's at the peak of her ministerial career. And you've got David Parker, who's also quite senior, but again, he's overseeing the RMA reforms. He's, he's busy. You could maybe... Damien O'Connor is another senior, senior MP, but you'd be replacing someone who's, you know, a bit loose with another person who's a bit loose. Audrey Young made an interesting point in the Herald this weekend in her column that Jacinda Ardern could look across the aisle at someone like Jerry Brownlee, probably the most experienced MP in the House who's probably suited to a role like that. But in the history of New Zealand, we've only had three speakers who haven't come from the party of the government. <laughs> it would mm. be a bit embarrassing if Jacinda Ardern were to say, look, you know, I've got... I've got this enormous majority in the House, but, you know, I actually just can't find any of them to be Speaker, so we'll take one of yours, National. Yeah. And you've got to ask National whether, you know, National on, on this tiny number of MPs would actually want to sacrifice one of its one of its strongest parliamentary performers to be Speaker. It'll fizzle out, mm. I think. Um, but the background to this is that National is, is in a very kind of raw state, um, having suffered that election loss. And in this parliamentary term, it's even worse for them because Parliament is just so much more difficult. They've got, I think they get 13 primary questions a week and around 60 supplementary questions a week. And it's really, really hard to use those that tiny number of questions to really prosecute the government. It is so, so difficult. And I think that manifests itself in frustration with the system of Parliament because when, when Trevor Mallard rules on a supplementary question that he doesn't like or he, when he rules on any part of your parliamentary procedure or he takes a supplementary question off you, then all of a sudden he's made your very difficult job even more difficult. So it just compounds this frustration that they have. And I, you know, I think a lot of this is actually just the raw emotion of what it's like to be an opposition MP in a party that is, has got its back up against the wall. 
That's it for today. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Adrian Holley engineered this episode. Alexia Russell produced it. And thanks to Thomas Coglin and Andrew Geddes. Mā te wā. 